Artificial intelligence has always played a major part in science fiction. Wouldn't it be great to have your own intelligent droid or humanoid robot to help you, keep you company, and perform dangerous tasks? But for every instance of helpful AI in science fiction, there are instances of AI gone bad. Whether we'd be able to recover from some of these negative, negative outcomes. In fact, some of the so that you can construct scenarios where um, recovery of human civilization does not occur. AI is no longer just science fiction. We now use AI every day to help us in our daily lives. A virtual artificial intelligence software, I am here to assist you with any task you need. AI has also won games of chess against world champions and even Jeopardy. Artificial intelligence seems like a great thing, or does it? In this episode, we'll discuss artificial intelligence. Should we be welcoming it or fearing it? The GoTo Podcast. Hi, welcome back listeners. Um, today we're going to be talking about AI, um, artificial intelligence. It's coming, it's not an option, and we're progressing fairly well. Uh, we're, we're kind of looking at AI as a new teenager to live in your house, a perpetual teenager. We're entering a new era where we'll need to start forming relationships with machines as well as humans. And this is kind of an inflection point for humanity. So it's interesting, Patrick, you say perpetual teenager. So AI, we have this image of like a machine, you know, a robot, you know, we've all seen Star Wars. Right. But you, you just said perpetual teenager. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I think when we talk about um, perpetual teenager, and I, I think probably eventually they would get out of the teenage phase, but I think the idea is more that they need to be told what to do, they need to be trained. And, uh, you know, they can also do things that you don't want them to do, I guess, like teenagers. Right, right. So there's a, there's a few, um, I guess, types or phases of, of AI. Um, there's this, um, what they call weak AI, or art, it's called artificial narrow intelligence. And that's kind of like what you see a lot nowadays with um, you know, Siri, you might have seen, or Amazon's got this, this Alexa thing. Is that like a recommendations kind of Yeah, they'll, it's similar to Siri, but also the recommendations as well, I guess, that you get on, on the website. And then things like Watson that, you know, we, we mentioned um, the Jeopardy thing, and that's more of like a knowledge base, so it, it will just, it knows how to look up a, a information really quickly and give you an answer. Or it can you know, look at rules and kind of think ahead of how to win a chess game or something. Right. So fair to say that this category you just said is, is very much rules-based, just follows a sequence of steps. Yeah, and this is, this is where we are for the most part right now. I think that that's a pretty well-understood area. And the next, the next level would be like uh, artificial general intelligence, which is also called strong AI. And that's where a computer could be as smart as a human. Uh, could, you might not be able to tell necessarily if you weren't looking at it, you might be able, might not be able to tell the difference between a human and this type of computer. Um, not quite there yet. Um, that's there's a lot of 
I guess, breakthroughs lately, uh, but not definitely not quite there. So recently in the news we've had, you know, um, Elon Musk, we've had um, Stephen Hawkins, and, and I think a few other guys have been, you know, saying AI, this is a threat to humanity, etc. This is the thing that we're now talking about. Well, this is what they're talking about, isn't it? AMGI. Yeah, I mean, this, this I, I guess this would be something like, you know, you, you know we did mention earlier things like um, these droids on Star Wars or, um, you know, data on Star Trek. And uh, if, if you saw Interstellar recently, I mean, they had some robots like that that you could, you know, they basically were kind of like surrogate humans, uh, but they weren't really... Maybe they could do things that humans faster than humans, and maybe a little bit more accurately than humans, but not necessarily like. Right. Okay. So we did ANI, narrow intelligence. We did AGI, general intelligence. What else you got? Right. And then there's the, what they call artificial superintelligence. So that would be ASI, and that's where you, know, you have a an artificial intelligence that is somehow greater than human so you know naturally computers will probably be faster but maybe can think about things that humans couldn't think about I mean it, could, it would be like um, maybe could think in ways that humans wouldn't even be able to comprehend right and I, and I think there's a there's a famous AI thinker Nick uh, Bostrom who who'd who wrote a statement he defined it as intellect which is much smarter than the best human brains in practically every field including scientific creativity general wisdom and social skills but it sounds like you know, it's sort of an impossible feat at this point yeah i mean it's it's thought to be a little bit out of reach right now um, but um, I, I think that kind of you know, we might talk about this a little bit more later, but I, I think that's kind of one of the dangers that people are, are pointing out is that once you get something that is smarter than humans, then you don't know what they're going to do and you don't know what they might create and what they might do to humans. You had an ethical example on this once. I think you were saying something about human suffering. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was um, one of the books that I was reading. They said that you, know, you might tell a, a super intelligence that um, you want you want it to end all human suffering and it may respond by just killing all the humans so that that is a logical that is a logical approach to the problem but it's not exactly the one that you probably wanted to happen yeah indeed so this is almost like your Terminator movie series with Skynet yeah in a way I mean I, I think they saw I think that's probably the best, I guess, worst case scenario, you know, best illustration of a worst case scenario for, um, you know, where the machines become, I guess, somehow self-aware and they just decide that humans are a threat and, or humans are not needed or whatever, so they just decide to wipe out the humans. Right. Now, the time travel pit, maybe a little bit, I don't know, if, maybe computers can figure out how to do time travel, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, no. okay. Seems like a distant thing. So, but that's the point. It does seem like a distant sort of horizon here. So, and one of the things I wanted to cover here was, you know, our perception is limited uh, by, you know, what we've been seeing in history, what we've probably been seeing in the last 50 to 100 years, uh, rather than making that jump to what the future could be. And there's things like the Moore's Law. Uh, there's things like we think in uh, very straight lines. 
uh, we think uh, in recent history only, which distorts our, you know, our, our future perception. Our own experience uh, makes us feel very stubborn old men, essentially, about what we can see of the future, you know, the machinery of the future. You look back a hundred years ago, and I've seen some of these, or even 50 years ago, and you look at what you know these futurists might predict would what would you know 2000 year 2000 be like or you look back you know recently I, I think I heard about a, this back to the future movie is, is 30 years old and they were saying 2015 you know and if you look back 30 years ago what people thought 2015 would be like it was you know quite a bit different not not totally different but it was you know not quite what you would expect so I mean it's hard for us to imagine the future when we don't know what's possible, I guess. Right. So, I mean, a few months back I read some stuff about the uh, Turing test. I think the Turing test is, is basically uh, a test where you interact with a, a black box, kind of, kind of an idea of a black box, and um, can let's say the black box, you don't know if it's a human or a computer. And if that black box can make you think it's a human, then it's kind of past the, the Turing test, that's my understanding. So, so if you can effectively get a computer that can simulate human uh, responses well enough that another human would think that that's a human, then they would be considered as passing that test. So we have artificial intelligence already that's capable of this, right? Well, yeah, there's even there's some basic things like this ELISA. Um, there's a famous computer program. I think it was written quite a, a while back, actually. And you type in, it's supposed to be like a psychiatrist or something. You type in, oh, I'm feeling bad today. And it will say, oh, so what is it about, how do you feel? What is it that feels bad today? you'll say, oh, well, I just feel depressed. It's like, so what do you think is making you depressed? So that, that kind of thing. So it does, it does seem like you're talking to a person, but it's just following, it's just looking at what you type in and kind of echoing back things. Now, I, I don't think that's really considered as um, passing the Turing test. I don't remember if they consider that, but it, it is kind of a step in that direction. You know? Interesting, yeah. So one of the books which is very popular at the moment is Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity is Near. And, and one of the things he talks about in this book is he wants to be able to map the brain with nanobots of some form. Um, and so I did a bit of research on this and there's actually a project called the Blue Brain Project which has been running since 2005 and is essentially reverse engineering the brain one neuron at a time. Right? And they argue that uh, they can now identify synapse, connect, synaptic connections between neurons and uh, via some model and you know it's all very successful 75 to 95% accuracy uh, when they can identify these between a real brain and, and their, their mathematical models right so do you see this this kind of thing as the way to perfect AI taking basically the human mind understanding it perfectly remapping it and putting it into a computer or is that the wrong approach well, I think it's the best approach that we can do. I mean, it's it's best to base something on what you what you know or what you think you know. And probably, if if, if this super intelligence kind of would develop, it might look at this and say, "Oh, well, I think there's a better way to do this." 
you know, because maybe the human brain is not the most optimal or ideal way to to think. I mean, I, I think that's just that's what's evolved over many years. So, I mean, maybe it's the best thing that nature could come up with. But maybe, you know, when you're talking about a super intelligence, maybe it could come up with something better. So we talked a lot about what is AI, how do we kind of get to this super intelligent state, possibly. But what are these downsides? Like, how do we protect ourselves from this monster? Well, I mean, I, I think I did want to mention the fact that, um, you know, the, this John Oliver thing where he said, well, you know, what, we can just unplug it. And I, I think that's maybe a naive approach um, because one, one thing I was reading about is that some people think we should just go ahead, you know, some people are in favor of really going quickly and moving on getting AI working because, you know, okay, parallel to this whole AI research and, you know, you look at what's going on in the world, there's internet, so everybody's connected, and then you start seeing things like internet of things where then you start being, you start having things that are connected to the internet that are things like, you know, maybe factories or things like, um, rail systems, automated cars, Google's working on all these things. Yeah. And as those come online, if there were a super intelligence that would take over, you know, we it would have access to control anything. Right. So the idea is that you get this super intelligence and you figure out ways to control it, you know, there, that's that's the other thing people are thinking is that well, we'll just build in safeguards that we, you know, you can't, you know, it's kind of like if you saw RoboCop or something like, well, you, you can't kill humans. Right. Or you can't, whatever you do, you can't kill humans. Or you, um, I think you put safeguards, like, and some of the proponents of AI, I think they're saying these kind of things, like, we, we can do it, we can put in safeguards, but then again, I mean, who knows if they would just override that once they get smart enough. Yeah. So, so we're building all these small pieces of functionality and understanding, which I see you could argue are like the amino acids of AI. We're slowly building up things that will be used to form a, a superintelligence. And then you, you highlighted the fact that our world is becoming so interconnected that if this entity or, or program became self-aware, it could potentially take over everything. So I suppose the question is, how do we know when we've lost control? Well, that's a good question. I, I guess, um, I mean, I, I think lately we've been seeing a lot of these hacking attacks. And so um, the, these are attacks that are done by humans, of course, and with the intent of disrupting either website or stealing data or this kind of thing. Now, I, I think this might not be might not be the average person sees this, but there probably you would see some intelligence agencies start seeing that yeah. you know the some data sites get broken into, data is getting stolen and they can't really trace it to anything. So particular. you could I so you could argue that that is potentially happening now. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, the big thing about AI is that, and the big question, like when you talk about amino acids in this thing, 
Yeah. Um, you know, the Earth, when the Earth first was, was young and it, these amino acids started forming, there was a point, and we, I don't know if we really know when it was, but at what point do those amino acids come together and become alive? You know, and even after that happens, at what point do, did humans become self-aware? Or any animal? Yeah. And so what I'm wondering is, when will a computer suddenly realize, like, oh, I'm a computer, and I've got all this power and I can do this? I mean, what, what will it take for that? So that's the big question for me. And I maybe there's no answer for that, because I, I think you can build a brain you can build something exactly like the human brain, but what's going to make it just suddenly think like, oh, I'm a human brain built in a laboratory? So that begs the question then, how can we regulate AI to make sure that we become aware of that point where this, um, this amino acid becomes its life form, this, this life form becomes self-aware? Can yeah, we I mean, regulate it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a tough one, because if it happens, you wouldn't, I mean, who knows? Who, who knows how you would be able to detect it? Who knows what uh, computer that suddenly became self-aware of what would they want? What would they want to do first? You know, would they want to get a cup of coffee or, you know, what, what do they want to do? Yeah. Or do they want to control the world? What is it? Yeah. Who knows? And we're not talking about timelines like we alluded to a teenager, right? Where there's a slow learning process, right? We're not yeah. talking about those kinds of timelines, right? We're talking about much faster improvements. Well, of science. course, it, it would be thinking a lot faster than a human, but I would think the first thing that a self-aware, something that self-aware would, would learn would be self-preservation. Because if you think about what do people think about, you, know, you think about how am I going to survive, how am I going to you know, eat, how am I going to reproduce. So I would think that a computer even, if it became self-aware, would, would be thinking about those things. It's like, okay, where am I, what, you know, what are they going to do, what am I doing, are they going to try to turn me off, I better stop them from turning me off. And. Uh, that would probably drive a lot of behavior. So maybe you would know right away because you would have something that you try to turn it off and it won't let you turn it off. Yeah. Or, or it will shock you or something. I mean, like that joke that um, Stephen Hawking was saying. Yeah, we'll have to put that link on the, on, yeah. the, on the website. So I suppose, Patrick, we should finish off and beg this question, really. Is AI as dangerous as they say? First of all, I mean, I, I think humans have had a long history of being dangerous um, themselves. So I guess the question is, are they more dangerous than humans? Um, I don't think, I, I think they could be dangerous to humans, but would they be dangerous, more dangerous than humans? Would they destroy the world? Would they start polluting the, the planet? Would they start colonizing other planets? I mean, what would they do? Who knows? But. I think the best you could do, I mean, this is maybe a little bit, you know, dystopic to, to think about, but um, dystopic. Um, you just have to learn how to live under, you know, in the world with them. Yeah. Because I, I think 
you know, it depends. Like one thing that, that robots, or I shouldn't say robots, but uh, let's say an artificial intelligence, it will still, if it wants to reproduce or this kind of thing, it will still need somehow to get raw materials. So it will need humans, you know, that, that's one aspect that it's, you know, like a robot is not going to be able to make more robots unless it has control of factories and gets raw materials and this kind of stuff. So I think that's one thing we can protect Yeah. is make it so that you can't easily, you know, maybe you can take over the factory, but you can't get metal or you can't get... You know, a robot may be, have total control over a factory, but until they can go get the raw materials and bring it there, yeah. they can't do anything. Interesting point. So maybe just the, you know, we have to be careful of, of the infrastructure. Yeah. If there's a way that we can educate artificial intelligence in a sensible manner, so that it is like a, a teenager, then if we give it a good education and we can get it to understand before it makes bad judgments, perhaps that's completely Maybe, naive. but if you've had teenager, um, you'll probably learn quickly that they don't listen to you. <laughs> indeed, indeed. They, they think they know more than you and they don't listen to you. And I think in this case, they actually will know more than you and they may not listen to you. Okay. So it's... Um, so it is dangerous. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It's, uh, again... It depends. I, I think the fear is all around when computers are, you know, software gets to the point where it can amend itself and make itself better without human intervention. And I think until it gets to that point, we can control it. But once it gets to you know, self-modification, then we're in trouble. Thanks for joining us this time on the GoTo Podcast. You can check out our Facebook page, search for GoTo Podcast with the number two, or follow us on Twitter, GoTo Podcast. Be sure to join us next time.